0: Welcome to Kid Doc Talk with Dr. Jenny. Our guest today is Dr. Stephen Abelowitz to discuss pediatric mental health. Dr. Abelowitz is a board certified pediatrician and currently serves as the regional medical director of Coastal Kids, a partner of Pediatric Associates in California. Dr. Abelowitz received his medical degree at the Hebrew University Hadassah Medical School and his pediatric residency at the University of California, Irvine Medical Center. Dr. Abelowitz is an acknowledged expert on pediatric health care and primary children's health care, preventative care, nutrition, growth and development. He has served as the area's representative for the American Academy of Pediatrics and received the top doctor award for physician excellence by the Orange County Medical Association. Dr. Abelowitz has shared his expertise with nationally recognized parenting and family health publications and was featured as an expert on KABC TV, Consumer Report, MSNBC, The Dr. Nancy Show, KCBS-TV, and KCAL-TV. He is active as the Ask the Doctors columnist for Orange County Register. And Dr. Abelowitz enjoys spending time with his family. Hobbies include theater, tennis, and triathlons. Welcome, Dr. Abelowitz. Welcome to Kids Doc. Talk with Dr. Jenny. Dr. Jenny is a board-certified pediatrician and is the Director of Telemedicine at Pediatric Associates. Hi, Dr. Abello. welcome. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Hi, Jenny. Thank you for having me on.
0: I want to talk about mental health because I think it's very prevalent right now. Um, And as general pediatricians, I know you and I have talked about this before that we're seeing what seems like more than more than before. And I wanted to explore that a little bit. So let's jump right in and, and tell me a little bit. What are common mental health issues that you're seeing now specifically in your patient population?
1: So uh, in regards to mental health conditions and diagnosis uh, that we've, we've always seen, but that we see more now, so I wouldn't say we have uh, any significant new entities that we're finding. We're seeing ent- uh, illnesses and, and entities uh, and challenges which we had before, but many are uh, uh, exacerbated or made a lot worse with the current COVID pandemic. In regards to the current COVID pandemic and, and all the lockdowns and, uh, and all the different mitigating effects that, that society uh, had to um, put in place, uh, the, the most common uh, entities we saw exacerbating or getting a lot worse, I would say, was our anxiety and depression uh, uh, would be by far our most common entities that we're ever seeing.
0: So it's not necessarily that they're more common now it's just that we're either what recognizing them more or the the pandemic is kind of causing them causing them to be a little bit more come to the surface
1: yes i think most definitely uh, the pandemic has significantly brought this more to the surface so uh, making us more aware because of the complaints and the uh, issues that have been brought up and the concerns that by parents uh, so, uh, it's just, it's just exacerbated and become a lot worse. It's a lot more challenging.
0: So I, when I think of mental health, I think I, I sort of separate populations in my, in my brain as, as how I approach it. So, right. We have like younger kids, school age kids, and I sort of think about them in, in one bucket. And then I think about older teenage kids in another bucket. Have you found that, that those two sort of populations have different needs or, uh, at least different, different conditions that, that they're presenting with?
1: Most definitely, you know, in the um, the the younger age, like you said, the the uh, the the, um, the uh, early preschoolers and the uh, and the early school age kids, that's going to be more uh, acting out, development related, school, scholastic kind of challenges, adaptation to school settings. Because our preschoolers, as you know, and our kindergartners and our first, second, third grades, they're just learning how to adapt going to school. So we're going to see a lot more of those. Uh, change in environment and developmental um, uh, as tools that they're going to acquire that we're going to see. So more of those kind of behaviors uh, we'll see and as they get older into the later school age, of course we'll see scholastic or academic challenges, but then we'll really start seeing more, anxieties and depressions now they do kind of overlap you know young children as you know uh will present with some anxiety and depression symptoms at a younger age not the classical way we all define but uh they seem to be more like you say categorized for the older school age kids and the adolescent kids anxiety and depression and then more acting out um uh developmental related uh mental health uh challenges in the early age kids
0: so, I know I think you know you're you're in California and and right, our, most of our patients are are in Florida. so the the populations are very different. But have you found that there's this particular demographic that's more prone to mental health? Because I could see somebody making the argument that if somebody is in a community with less resources, maybe those kids really are suffering more. But then I've also seen statistics of even more more affluent in communities where there's tons of resources. Those kids have their own challenges. Have you found that there's one population that that really stands out as as having unique uh, mental health needs?
1: No, I look at it across the the spectrum. I think all the demographics are affected here. You know, I'm going to say demographically for the children, the uh, less privileged children, there's going to be more. Uh, adverse effects of the lockdowns are because of their lack of uh, access to uh, health care mental health care lack of uh, the uh, the uh, the tools that they could utilize and get from the school systems they couldn't so we'd see that as playing out and becoming more um, their 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 baseline mental health becoming more uh, adversely affected and then as you mentioned uh, you know to some folks surprise the uh, the uh, higher socioeconomic, uh, or the more demographically privileged populations, because they're in very competitive environments, both at home, high achieving folks that that put a lot of pressure on their children to achieve and do well, as well as high achieving environments at school and sports. So we're seeing them just as uh, uh, adversely affected by COVID and all of the related COVID events. Um, And some could argue maybe even more.
0: So now let's talk specifics because you mentioned younger age kids, right, really struggling with like that social component or right, having some anxiety about, um, you know, developmentally maybe appropriate, but anxiety nonetheless about interacting with their peers in light of the pandemic. What are some things that parents and families can do to support those younger kids who who are maybe anxious about this gradual, you know, return to sort of, you know, in-person learning or or more more in-person interaction, maybe more so than they had last year?
1: So I think, of course, uh, it changes uh, depending on the current status of COVID and and what the recommendations are with being out and socializing. But I think many kids for months had no socialization whatsoever with with kids uh, or peers, their age-related peers. So I think starting before going out to school where you may be around 20, 30, 50 or 100 kids, Mm -hmm. starting with some play pods, depending, of course, of the area they're in, starting with some uh, interactions and then building up on that with maybe bigger groups of play pods, just kind of, uh, in a way, desensitizing them a little or getting them used to being around other kids, because a lot of the kids were, were so deprived that they just don't know how to behave around other kids.
0: Definitely. And then what about older kids who I I think probably were inundated with um, social interaction, but mostly like virtual, right? They were like a lot of screen time, a lot of virtual school, a lot of social media. How can we get those kids to start feeling a little bit more comfortable about more in-person interaction and getting them away from kind of that that virtual addiction? And yet again, and of course, taking into consideration
1: the current environment of of the COVID and the Delta variant, but
0: signing them up, uh, trying to
1: push their own kids, for instance, my kids pushing for dance classes, sports classes, getting them involved with art classes or or different uh, uh, social sports academic settings, and as well as trying to encourage them to set up some play dates. And uh, for those that can do that or able to do that, even sleepovers, uh, uh, doing all of that, Again, getting them uh, desensitized to being so isolated. So when they go back to dozens of, or hundreds of kids exposed to dozens, of, they're not as overwhelmed uh, and, uh, and alarmed in the beginning.
0: And I think it's so challenging because, like you said, we have to balance that with the risks of, of COVID, right? And, and actual exposure and depending on where you are and depending on the precautions and right, the case rate and the vaccine rate and all of that. We have to think about those things. In context of okay but i also want my kids to socialize so i think that's really the challenge that a lot of families are facing where they don't want to do unsafe things but they also see their kids struggling with with sort of the social isolation piece
1: most definitely and it's always always uh, as you know challenging to be a parent and now especially in this environment it, it's so much yeah so much more challenging because in a way you're damned if you do, damned if you don't, like you say, you want to get them socialized, you want to get them involved with other kids, but then you feel you may be putting your children at risk or your environment at risk or, or society at risk. So, so always, you know, um, following the guidelines, uh, uh, reaching out to your medical home, reaching out to your pediatrician and, uh, and they should uh, be more than uh, happy to help with recommendations that can, can really be, um, uh, taper towards the area that, that, that the pediatricians practice in and that the folks live in.
0: For sure. So I, I want to pivot and talk a little bit about depression, because this is also a, sort of a patient population that I think I'm seeing more now than ever not necessarily because there's more of it, but I think the pandemic is definitely right, making it, just making it more obvious. So, so parents are noting it more, caregivers are noting it more. So before we talk about the actual treatment for it, let's talk about, I guess, like recognizing sign, signs of depression, right? Especially like in older kids and teenagers, maybe it, it's subtle changes. So what are some things that parents and families should look for if they're worried about a teenager or really any kid um, exhibiting signs of depression?
1: So with us in our practice here in in Coastal Kids, the way we identify uh, these children are twofold. uh, One, through the parents, we'll talk about some of the signs to watch for. And two, we're quite proactive about the surveys we do with the physicals. So keeping up with the well checks, keeping up with annual well checks after uh, 11, 12, 13, we have uh, quite a gamut of surveys. And uh, surprisingly, how many children we do uh, pick up and find out and, and, and uh, diagnose and help and refer from these surveys. And then obviously, as a parent, things to watch for uh, from, you know, the, the, the more obvious to the less obvious. If, you know, if, you're, if, if your child's uh, uh, significantly decreased appetite, so definitely seems to be down his affect or her affect, uh, not wanting to do anything, not wanting to go out. Or, or spending all day long uh, on, uh, on electronic, uh, devices. Um, and, uh, also acting out if they like, like, like adults as well, as if, uh, more irritable, uh, getting into confrontations with other family members, getting into confrontations with, with, with parents. Um, so those are some of the, uh, the, uh, the signs and symptoms, the younger children, it's going to be more of acting out and more the confrontational and, uh, those, uh, uh, kind of uh, behavior patterns, um, and then you physically could see signs as well. You can see that your child's losing weight. You can see that your child's just not looking well. Uh, uh, child, there can also be psychosomatic symptoms. Your child can start complaining, you know, of, of abdominal pain, of stomach aches, of, of headaches, uh, of pains in different, of pain in different areas. Those can be, as you know, common manifestations of uh, of depression and anxiety uh, um, at all ages, especially between that six and twelve year old age group.
0: I think it's so critical that you mentioned that a lot of this is picked up during well visits, because that's, I think was, was the most surprising thing for me when we started doing well visits via telehealth last year. It was the first time really that I started to see like the results of these surveys and I was following up on them and I was shocked, really shocked at at how many kids were screening positively on, on the depression screen. So I think it's so, so, so important for families to realize that those surveys are critical, and that really well care, especially during, during this time is really, really important because we may be able to pick on, pick up on things that maybe the family didn't realize was going on. A lot of things you mentioned can be so subtle, right? Like acting out and in a teenager, you may think that's normal. But once you do the screen, maybe it'll sort of come to the surface, surface that a lot of these things are, are not okay.
1: 100 percent, most definitely, and then and it's important for parents to understand by us doing these surveys and reviewing them. We're not creating or forming uh, illnesses. Some parents are worried. Okay, because you're bringing it up. 100 percent of the time, it's uh, it's it is there is a uh, there is a true background concern. And this is it is so the uh, it's so important to pick this up early, deal with it early, because, as you know, if you leave it longer and festering longer, they get much uh, more uh, difficult to treat. And the results almost aren't, uh, aren't as good as if you treat earlier and intervene earlier.
0: So let's talk about treatment a little bit, because I have found treatment for, especially for depression to be really very challenging, especially in teenagers. Can we talk a little bit about what are some recommended treatment options for depression? Do we always have to jump to medication? I know some families are are hesitant to pursue that right away.
1: So unless it's a very extreme, acute, uh, almost dangerous situation, I would say medicines would be, is a a good option, but maybe... uh, after trying some other interventions. So really we, we kind of categorize it into different levels from mild, moderate to severe. And the, and the big percentages are more mild depression or mild anxiety. And those you really can work uh, with counseling that us uh, the pediatricians can do and try out. Of course, as pediatricians, we have training in different areas or maybe limited somewhat in, uh, in our ability of how extensive we can counsel on, on mental health but also being able to uh, find the right resource to refer to as a mental health or behavioral health specialist helping. Regardless of the level of depression, I think that's, that's gonna be the ultimate uh, uh, tool of uh, treatment and intervention and ongoing because that eventually will help and give the individual the tools that they need to overcome the, uh, the mental health and behavioral challenges. Um, uh, medications, like you mentioned, uh, in the very acute stages, or more moderate to severe, uh, or if we're not seeing any results from the other mode of therapies, from the, uh, the behavior therapies, as you know, describe it as cognitive behavior therapy or different types of behavior therapies. Um, and then the medications I look at and perceive in most cases as an important, but more of a band-aid, helping you get through... Uh, the more acute and severe stage uh, where ultimately the um, behavior therapy and the tools that you learn from uh, the behavioral specialist will help you get through not only the acute stage and the uh, subacute and chronic stage, but also long-term tools that they'll have for the rest of their
0: lives. For sure. So I I think tool building is like really the key to to addressing and thinking about a lot of these disorders, right? Because with anxiety and depression, a lot of it is sort of inability to, to really know how to deal with at this point, right? Traumatic things, pandemic life, that type of thing. And so I think therapy is probably a huge component to that. And another thing that you mentioned that I think is really important is that the medicine's not forever, right? This isn't like a label that that's forever. It's it's help us get through, right? Maybe a very dangerous or critical time, but it's not necessarily something that that the kid is going to have to be on for, for a lifetime. So I think sometimes parents, like I said, are hesitant to pursue that route uh, while not realizing that it, it's not necessarily something that medication that right the kid's going to be married to.
1: Hundred percent. And just to mention, for the younger uh, ages, as you know, could be challenging behavior therapy or cognitive behavior therapy, because they're not at that development cognitive right. level. We're fortunate in our practice, we do have uh, we're, um, we work with a uh, excellent doctorate of psychology who's a play therapist and, and, and does her behavior therapies in the play therapy. So those parents are thinking, okay, how's my four-year-old or three or four or five-year-old gonna go to a psychologist or a therapist? They are experts in the field throughout the country that, 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 that can work with children of the younger, of younger ages. And, and some will be uh, utilizing play therapy uh, modes of uh, behavior therapy.
0: So you mentioned younger kids, and so that makes me think about maybe a, another type of patient population, maybe kids with special needs or kids with other, sort of maybe underlying issue, complex, uh, medically complex kids. Are there certain populations or certain conditions um, that you think maybe increase the risk of somebody having a mental health disorder or maybe are more, more likely to be linked to somebody with a mental health disorder?
1: Most oh, definitely both uh, conditions as well as if, uh, both physical medical conditions as well as environmental conditions. So children uh, with, uh, for instance, autism that are on the spectrum, uh, pers- uh, children that that do have ADHD or attention deficit and hyperactivity, there definitely uh, can be a, a, strong, a high risk of uh, of, de- of having comorbid or associated anxiety and depression because of they. The, uh, their, their background medical condition, uh, placing them at a higher risk. Um, those would be the ones that I believe would come to mind the quickest. Now, of course, we see in our practice too, children that have physical medical uh, challenges, especially our teenagers with cerebral palsy and, 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 and learning and academic difficulties because of them having so much pressure on them and so much um, angst on themselves and, having, and seeing themselves being different to the rest of the population group, we see them being at a much higher risk of anxiety and depression because of their underlying background challenges and then being in in some ways different to the way they perceive themselves to others.
0: So I think another really strong case for making sure those, especially those kids, right? Get, Get their well visits, see the pediatrician, see a pediatrician, right? That's familiar with them. That's going to be able to differentiate between this is what their baseline is. And this is right. What, what, what we know them to be versus now, now something is wrong and now, right. They're, they're not feeling the way that, that they're supposed to.
1: Yeah, hundred percent.
0: So a, a lot of really good information, a lot of concrete tips, which I really appreciate anything else, any takeaways that you really want families to, to know about kids with, with mental health dysfunction.
1: I think especially today, we all know, I think it's so important that we're uh, discuss with our children. We keep an open dialogue. I think uh, the, uh, the, the, the culture that many of us had for many decades prior, not to talk about it, not to bring it up. Parents in my practice always worry about, okay, should we mention it to school? Should we bring it up to the school setting? If anything, we all know today, there's so much more um, uh, acceptance, willing to work, understanding, tools we can put in place. So really bring it up with the child. be have open discussions, uh, feel comfortable to discuss with, your, with your, your providers, your pediatricians, feel comfortable to discuss in the school settings with those that you trust, because really uh, my view is that we all should be in together. And I really feel that the vast majority are there together to help children thrive, help children reach their potential and uh, succeed and grow up to be healthy uh, adults.
0: Fantastic. Yes. Yeah, so I think, you know, right. People worry about the label and I see this also with, I think any anything in mental health, right. They don't want the label of autism. They don't want the label of ADHD and same thing now, right. With anxiety and depression. So I like to tell families like the, the label just opens doors, right. It allows us to get the help and the support that we need either from from therapy or from school, right, or from from other community resources, it's not a label that is going to be you know detrimental in any way. By withholding that label, I think we really do a huge disservice by not allowing those services to to really be linked to the kid.
1: And it's so true. Opening doors, also enabling some. Uh... Uh, justified advantages, special accommodations at school, special environments at school that can help uh, the children succeed in the environment and maybe even give them a better shot at getting into a good school or a good college. So definitely opening doors. And today, uh, the support is there for, for, for children that need the extra help.
0: Exactly. All right. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you for discussing this important topic with us today.
1: Thank you. It's my pleasure. Take care. Bye. Make sure you like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you for joining us on Kids Talk Talk.